From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Indigenous students face rough odds in college. They are among the least likely to enroll and among the most likely to drop out. Today we're talking about systemic issues and ways Native students are building support. So much of what is rooted in success for Native students is this idea of community and creating family. So if you don't have family at home that you can depend on, who is going to be your family when you come to campus? Connection to community is is very centered on, on who we are and who we have been throughout the generations. The isolation and loss brought on by the pandemic have only complicated the journey toward getting a degree. We'll get perspectives about the realities many Indigenous students face. My grandma's like, don't come home, don't do it. Because she knew if I went home, I would stay home. Need more reusable bags to get you ready for Colorado's ban on plastic bags? There are several can't-get-them-anywhere-else options to pick from when you start your membership today. Well-made and sturdy, these CPR-branded thank-you gifts are fun and functional ways to show off your support for unbiased news and inspiring music. And you should be proud. As a member, you help make great radio happen. Donate at CPR.org and thank you. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Avery Lill. Last school year was tough on students everywhere. Among those in college, the numbers showed that was particularly true for Indigenous students, who already faced an uphill battle compared with peers. Journalists Charlotte West and Monica Brain, who is Assiniboine and Hunkpapa Lakota, kept up with three Indigenous students last year as they tried to build support and find stability in a tumultuous time. They joined me along with one of those students, Naina Polk, who is Diné, Sichangu Lakota, San Carlos Apache, and Quetzan and goes to Fort Lewis College in Durango. Naina, I'd like to start with you. I'd love to hear about your journey to college. I understand you grew up in Minnesota. Why did you choose to come to Durango for school? So I decided to come to Fort Lewis College because I just wanted to um, get away from from home because I grew up with my family like all my life, and I wanted to see what it was like to be on my own, and I thought a school out of state would um, start that. For me um, and how was the transition it was ex- extremely like nerve-wracking um in the process but one- once I was there I just felt like I was at home and at my um recruitment visit too um it was just a completely like um calm experience for me for my coaches and meeting my teammates and we should say your recruitment visit you're a lacrosse player, and you that's been a huge part of your college experience. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. Monica, you're an Indigenous journalist. I wonder, were there things in your life that made this story about the challenges and resilience of, resilience of going to college a story that you wanted to tell? Absolutely. I, um, uh, I really watched folks in my life, family members, go off to college. You know, there's this big um, fanfare around go to college, go help your community and things like that. And then I saw a lot really struggling and dropping out and leaving and not um, uh, being able to finish. That wasn't my experience, mostly because my parents were... um, (laughs) basically said they would kill me if I didn't finish 
school. So it was a, it was (laughs) fear-based finishing, but um, I, I just, I couldn't imagine why so many students um, struggle to get to college. So many native students struggle to get to college and finish um, school. And so that was really the reason why I wanted to explore this was to follow native students as they either finish out their last year of high school or their first year of college, started their first year of college. And um, uh, I met Charlotte. Uh, she, she reached out to me to ask some questions. She was working on a, a story about native, a native student. And we started talking and decided uh, this was something that we really wanted to explore together. Charlotte, let's talk for a moment about those really broad trends. What picture do enrollment statistics paint about how well higher education is serving Native American students? Um, Well, so if you look at the overall college going rates for Native American students, um, specifically the 18 to 24 year old group, um, that in 2019, um, about a quarter of American Indian and Alaska Native students went to college. And as a point of comparison, um, it's 41 percent for white students and uh, the same number, 41 percent for um, all students overall. Um, so they actually have the lowest college going rates of any um, racial group. And this was before the pandemic. So that was 2019 um, from the National Center for Education Statistics. And then if you look at what happened last fall, um, there was about a, a 25% drop for Native students going to college for the first time um, compared to 13% for all students. So they there were challenges before the pandemic, and then the pandemic sort of exacerbated those trends. I wonder if we should have at the beginning of this conversation, Monica, just a question. Is there an assumption here that all or most students should go to college? Oh, that's a great question, Avery. And I, I you know, I think that that Native educators and, and folks who work in Native education would say um, that it's really up to the individual and what works best for them, what what they want to do with their future and things like that. I mean, we do have a legacy of boarding schools in Native America where students were um, forced in, in some circumstances to go away to school. Um, they were sent through vocational training. They were not encouraged to go to college. And so there's definitely been sort of a a turnaround to that, where lots of students are encouraged to go to college. Um, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily turn out to be um, what's the best choice for them. And when we're also talking about access and making sure that people have the same ability to co- go to college, if they if that's something that is in their path and that they do find constructive. Um, tell me, we'll talk more about this in depth, but tell me briefly, what are some of the um, biggest challenges that Indigenous students face once they decide to go? I would say like for for Indigenous students, um, some of the biggest challenges they face are just uh, that cultural capital that um, uh, non-Natives develop over time, the ability to know that um, you can go to your counselor and ask for help, that you can navigate through the system, that if you don't get the answer that you want, that you can go back and ask it again. Um, those are all sort of uh, really basic challenges that Native students face. Also, um, this year with the pandemic, 
we found that access to the internet was probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for Native students. So they're trying to finish up their tests, they're trying to finish up their semesters, apply to school, and they're driving to Wi-Fi hotspots on their reservations um, set up at the last minute because um, everybody's been sent home and schools traditionally are the places where students access the internet. Monica, you write about a pull towards home communities that got stronger for a lot of people during the pandemic, regardless of backgrounds. And you share an anecdote about a young Indigenous student named Chante Squilla. She's Oglala of Lakota and goes to college in South Dakota. She told you about a photograph of her and her grandparents. This was actually taken like two days before I left and went to college. Not too shortly after, I actually lost my grandpa. He just passed away. And I didn't get to go home for the funeral because <laughs> my grandma's like, don't come home, don't do it. Because she knew if I went home, I would stay home. Stories like that are so hard to hear. Monica, what did you take away from hearing her story? It was, um, it was really heartbreaking to hear that. Uh, hear her tell us that. And it was, um, we, we checked in with the students pretty fairly regularly. And it was just within the context of a regular check-in. She just sort of casually mentioned this. And I think that um, for folks who, who maybe don't know about Native America, you know, uh, when you lose, when you lose a family member, that is uh, significant for any, anybody, right? Um, but there are um, traditional practices and um, responsibilities that come along with when you lose a family member. Um, the organization that I work for right now uh, is is primarily Native, and we get 40 hours of bereavement leave every year because um, when someone passes, it's significant, and there's cultural responsibilities that go along with that. And so to have the pandemic basically limiting people's abilities to have uh, proper funerals and then to have her grandmother tell her just not to come home, not to um, support her during all of this because school was more important. Um, it really struck a note with us about uh, the resilience and the efforts that these students are taking to, to really succeed when, you know, it's, it's stacked up against them from the beginning. Yeah. And to be clear, Shantae's grandfather, he didn't die of COVID, but you write in your piece that Indigenous students are twice as likely as white students to know someone who died of COVID last year. Charlotte, that is a whole additional layer of challenge that can make it hard to focus on school, right? Uh, yeah. One one of the young women we talked to, um, her name is Taya Runninghawk. She's also Oglala Lakota from Pine Ridge. Um, she... Um, was at, at St. Kate's University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and she just really talked about the, the challenges of, you know, thinking about everything that's going back home and trying to concentrate on your studies. Um, she was a little bit initially hesitant to talk to her, you know, to talk to faculty members, to tell them what was going on. You know, she felt it was a very private thing. So, um, and I think this happened for, for a lot of students last year. And when we talk about statistics and trends, I also want to acknowledge, obviously, everybody's individual stories are different. And Native American students are incredibly diverse. There are more than 500 federally recognized tribes in the U.S. 
Um, I'm a citizen of Chickasaw Nation. And for me, I benefited a lot from privileges that meant that I grew up assuming I would go to college. And a lot like you were saying, Monica, if I, it would have been a big deal in my family if I had not finished. Um, and I felt supported once I got there. But I know that obviously, I, I obviously know people who had very different experiences than mine. Nina, when we talk about all these statistics on low college enrollment and high dropout rates, what stands out for you? Yeah, um, what really stands out is like the percentages of um, of Native students um, dropping out their first year. And with this year, I've seen the percentages and it's it's massive. And I get that because, yeah, we our first year was was in um, a pandemic. And with that, it comes with like so many challenges, too with our relatives suffering through this pandemic too, that we can't support because they're so far away. And with just school in general for having to access the Wi-Fi. Luckily for me, I never really had that um, struggle with um, Wi-Fi or connection, but I've, I know many um, students on the reservation that can't, that can't access that and with Zoom classes. And it's just very, it's very sad and very disappointing too, but I I get it. Like I I'm taking a break right now because of the pandemic. Because I got a whole bunch of anxiety from it, and I do have relatives who have passed from the COVID from the COVID um, pandemic, and it hits. Cause and it's like all my family on the reservation. It's all on my dad's side, and I've grown up with them. I'm I've seen them in my childhood. Like it's very heartbreaking. So I get all the struggles. Yeah, I am sorry for those losses, and I'm sorry that you're dealing with the anxiety now as well, and I'm glad you're taking space to take care of yourself. Um, for Fort Lewis College, before it went on break last fall from in-person learning because of COVID, it went remote for a while. What made it possible for you to go back to campus in spring of 2020, Nina, after that disappointment of going remote? Well, I had a um, commitment for um, lacrosse. Um, we had a it was just a small break and I had a, and yeah, we did have to leave school early because of an outbreak on campus. And that, that kind of scared the team and the coach too. Cause you know, we could, the fall was our training. It was our training for preseason and we got, we got that taken away from us. So with um, having to have school and having to practice on our own at, at our house with no access to a gym for some of us it was it was pretty difficult but we all like supported through each other remotely through zoom we'd had um indie meetings with coach and it just made things a whole lot easier Nina I want to talk with you about lacrosse you're actually somewhat of a celebrity on TikTok you have videos where you explain the differences between traditional and modern lacrosse this was a highly requested video, so here are some differences between modern and traditional lacrosse. First difference is just the stick itself. The modern stick is a lot longer and has a bigger pocket. As of the traditional stick, it's a lot smaller and it has a You've got thousands pocket. of views. What has it been like to catch the attention even of a professional lacrosse star? It was um, very different. Um, I, I, was, uh, grow I was growing... When I was growing up, I was just an introvert all around like very shy around everyone and wasn't until I played lacrosse the traditional game it really changed like my point of view and it 
it made me like excited and it I would say it definitely helped me become a lot more social and extroverted when I play because when I'm playing it's just a whole different feeling and it's I feel like no one's there no one's watching so I could just be myself and I also was wanting to just share the game because not a lot of um, lacrosse players or people in, in general for sure um, never knew about the traditional game and this was the one I play is one style of the game and it's it was um pretty pretty cool that I was able to like share it and people were actually like interested in it. And all this has helped you reevaluate reevaluate your ideas about your career and you've dropped the fine arts major for now. Tell me about that switch. So I grew up with my um parents still going to college and my mom was um aiming for her master's degree in arts in the um fine arts realm. So I would grow up and she'll take me to her art studio. She'll be doing whatever work she has to do for her classes. And I was just mesmerized. I was, yes, I'll do my own thing, but I was more focused on like what she was doing, what what she was painting, what she was beading. And I wanted to try it out myself. And because I grew up with that, I was like more interested in arts. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to follow your steps. I want to be an artist as well. And it my dad was um more of an athlete. So, and I also wanted to like make both my parents proud in a sort of way, so being artsy and being sportsy. So, <laughs> yeah, um I just I tried to find both things and it took a bit to like find uh what sport was really for me, but um Ever since I started lacrosse, that's been my passion, and it grew even more than art. And in school, I was just more focused on lacrosse because it was my commitment, and I was trying to grow the game and grow the traditional game and and just like represent Native athletes and an Indigenous woman who plays a sport. And I just was more um, focused on having to uh, share the game and grow it where I thought I would change my major to focus more on that realm. So I changed it to American Indian studies. So I thought it'd be one step closer to getting to where I want to be. And I know you said you're taking that time off this semester. Um, how are you thinking about going back? Um, I'm, I'm planning to go back in the spring and because of like my change in my major, I will be ineligible to play um, in competition and travel with my lacrosse team for this season because I'm kind of basically um, starting from scratch. So I have to catch up in my credits for my new major. And so I would be starting to play next year. And it would it's kind of sad. And, in a way, because when I go back, like, I'm just thinking about getting ready for season, but right now I don't have one because I'm not eligible. But I am really excited to see my team again and see my coach because I'm still very committed to them. I'm still very committed to the sport, and I plan on practicing with them even if I'm not going to be eligible to be on the field, but support them in every single way I can. It sounds like it'll be an exciting journey at a new major 
Charlotte, in your reporting, it sounds like Fort Lewis actually bucked a trend in increased enrollment of first-year Native students in 2020, but they had problems retaining students. What did you learn? Um, so one of the things that I think is important to to note about Fort Lewis is that they have a relatively high Native population. I think uh, this fall, as of fall 2020, they had 46% Native American students. And that's actually, um, that percentage or that share has been increasing every year Um that was up from about 41% in 2019. Uh, so I talked to Provost Cheryl Nixon, um, and she said that even though first-year enrollment is increasing, the challenges of the pandemic are really showing up in their retention numbers. Um, and retention refers to the number of first-year students who come back the next fall. Um, and so they actually saw an increase in retention um, in fall 2020, but this past year, um, only about half of the um, half of the Native American students at Fort Lewis came back for fall 2021. Um, and, and Provost Nixon really attributed that to just the effects of the pandemic on, on the COVID class. I mean, it impacted Native American students the most, but it, it affected all of last year's first year, sorry, all of last year's first year class. And Charlotte, what have you learned from, from that reporting? I mean, I, I don't think this is surprising to anyone that, you know, after the year that everyone has been through that um, students just need a break. Um, I think this has reinforced, though, the idea that um, higher education isn't necessarily linear. Like we think that it's, you know, you go, you graduate from high school, you go straight to college, you graduate, you go to the labor market. That's really not the reality for um, a lot of students, whether they're Native American or not. Yeah, I really like that. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier of finding a path that is constructive, whether or not that is college and making sure that it's not just an assumption that it's right for everyone at every time. Um, Nina, when we talk about broad statistics like these, I know that you mentioned just like how hard it is to see those numbers, but I wonder if you feel like it adds an unfair pressure on you as an Indigenous student as you navigate just your own college experience. Yeah, so um, before, like, it's always been like a struggle for Native students being in college and in high school as well, um, like statistic, like it shows because like, oh, I would just say they're just away from their home. They're away from their just lifestyle, and they just have to. They're away from it. So I seen some students where they're homesick because they're not in their in their household. They're not with their family. It's so different on campus, and they're also like limited a bunch like they're limited in resources. Like I said before, like Wi-Fi connection for those who are still on the reservation. And also just being in an environment where you're not surrounded with your own people. Like I did choose to come to Fort Lewis College because the um, Native population was a lot greater than my high school. My high school was like, I only seen a few Native students in the hallways. There were at least probably 10 or 15 other Native students, and I was just very alone. And I was, I was in, this, in my state. I was in my high school. Like, my family was right there, but just in that time frame, I was just very alone. But I still get that in college, too, because we have a whole bunch of stereotypes towards us, too, when it comes to education. Like, it's just handed to us, and it's for free and we're like very privileged with that when that's definitely not the case. Like 
I was extremely grateful that I was able to get a native um, free tuition. And that is not just handed to anyone. It's actually like, a treaty obligation at Fort Lewis College that they're required to waive uh, indigenous students fees. But that's in re- that, that's a treaty obligation. Yeah, for sure. And it that's just not given to like anyone and other non-native students like don't understand that completely and they I hear jokes about it all the time and where they're like oh you're native so you get to go to school for free lucky you and it's just it's disappointing it's very heartbreaking too and I know if I'm experiencing it then I already know other native students are experiencing it and that also makes them like not want to come back because it's it's just like so much pressure on them. Yeah, that's hard. We have been talking about challenges that indigenous students face including family and health issues. I'd love to hear from each of you something that maybe is already working or a possible solution to help indigenous students feel more supported and more stable in schools. Monica, why don't you go first? Uh, Thanks, Avery. Yeah, I really think that first, um, some sort of cultural training for professors would be incredibly helpful, uh, particularly if they have um, any Native students in in their classroom, for them to understand the Native experience, although we're, of course, not a monolith. Um, Also, Native educators have found that being able to create support groups Um, Native groups within the college setting really help students um, sort of find that family that they're looking for um, when they go away to school. Charlotte, what are you finding could help? Um, I mean, I'd I'd echo a lot of what Monica said. Um, I do think, you know, sometimes even just a single professor or staff person on campus can make a huge difference um, for an individual student. Um, And a lot of campuses only have, you know, a handful of Native students. I think Fort Lewis, in that sense, is actually an exception. Um, But for instance, one of the colleges that this one of our students attended, uh, St. Kate's, um, she was one of the few Native students on campus, but she did find sort of a, a sense of community in the Multicultural Student Center. Um, and she actually successfully advocated, uh, or, or she she started a conversation about smudging on campus, which is a um, sort of a spiritual practice that, she, you know, she was hoping to be able to kind of create a legacy to allow, you know, students that came after her to do that. So, I mean, I think it's just finding ways to tap into broader campus community, the broader campus community. Nina, what changes do you want to see? I definitely want to see more schools that um, respect, like, my people's um, practices. And Fort Lewis College does respect that. They acknowledge what land they are on, and they they um, allow these practices and all the teachers are aware and it's required to like repeat over and over again, like whose land they are on. And I would love to see that for a lot of other campuses and high schools, even like any type of like school. Um, So I, and also for just a student's perspective too, um, just find your people, find um, your group, like say hi, like be um, outgoing and you'll you'll get there. You'll see people just like you and you'll have your um, little group with you. 
Thank you all so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Nina Polk plays lacrosse and completed her first year at Fort Lewis College in Durango. Charlotte West and Monica Brain are journalists. They're reporting about Nina and two other Indigenous students making it through their first years in college is out today in High Country News and the Heshinger Report. It was supported by the Education Writers Association. Read it and find links to their longer works at the, on this topic at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.